is the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And in part for the story of how it came about to be composed, and of which we don't have time to go into this morning. If you ever get a chance, Google It Is Well With My Soul and read the story of how that hymn came about. But the other reason I like it is for its title, the phrase, It Is Well With My Soul. Something about having a well soul speaks to me and describes for me what the end game is for the spiritual life. I believe the ultimate intent of all of our spiritual practices and the ultimate intent of our spiritual life is for the purpose of equipping us with souls that are well. So living with a well soul is important because from our soul comes our actions and how we show up in the world. Now we're talking about some Things here that we may not think about very often, soul and living well. Because it's hard to define soul. We can't see it. And because of that, we often maybe neglect it. Our soul, let me take a stab, is the essence of who we are. It's the guidance system of our life. It's the place where our self connects with God. The late Dallas Willard wrote that the soul is defined as, quote, the hidden or the spiritual side of the person. It includes one's thoughts and feelings along with one's heart and will with their intent and their choices. So the condition of our soul matters. And the scriptures remind us to love with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul. All four work together. All four of them are important. So living with a well soul is important because when we're living with a well soul... We position ourselves to live well. And here's sort of the early takeaway. Living well, I think, is what it means to live the spiritual life. When someone says to me or asks me, what does it mean to be spiritual? I will say to them, it means to live well. And what does that look like? My friend and author, uh, Trevor Hudson, is a Methodist pastor in South Africa wrote a book a few years ago called Invitations of Jesus. He's pastored through some difficult times, particularly during the time known as apartheid, the intentional segregation of blacks and whites. And as a pastor, he called upon his congregation to desegregate before the apartheid system was even abolished. And many left his congregation. Trevor, along with many others with his courage, paid a huge price. But through it all, he continued to pastor with a servant's heart. He continued to pastor with with, with a heart that beat with the passion for people. And so in his book, Invitations of Jesus, he has this to say about the human condition. And I'm going to sort of unpack a few paragraphs here, but I hope it helps to kind of make sense about this idea of living well. So here's what he writes. Quote, one blessing of being a pastor is the privilege of getting to know all kinds of people. I've worked in small towns, a rural town in the South African city of Johannesburg, and in the soggy suburbs of large, sprawling residential areas. In each of these settings, I learned that deep in the heart of every human being is this question, how do I live well? And while these specific words are seldom used, this question is written in the emptiness of our daily lives. It's written on our boredom, our despair, our depression, our experimentation with drugs, our addictions our compulsions, and all the wreckage of human life that surrounds us. In all these areas, we hear the haunting question, how do I live well? So within the context of that paragraph, he then starts to quote a friend of his, a Methodist minister and activist, Peter Story. 
And here is what he has to say about this. Now, this is all going to fit together. And Trevor writes this. In South Africa, the residents wrestle with this question on a national level, how to live well. And Peter Story writes this, quote, South Africa is thrashing around in search for its soul. And Story believes that we as South Africans, we lack strong values to govern our behavior toward another. He encourages us to recover an ethical framework for our attitudes toward work, money, sexuality, and power. If the widening economic gap between the haves and the have-nots is to be bridged, Peter Story believes we need a large dose of selflessness. In short, Peter Story states, we need to learn again the difference between right and wrong. I'll circle back around one last quote from Trevor Hudson as he sums this up. He then revisits his initial question this way, how do I live well? And he writes, I too ask this question, how do I live freely and joyfully? How do I relate to those close to me? How do I respond to those who disagree with me? How do I love others? How do I contribute to the common good? And how do I live with privilege in a country characterized by inequality? End of quote. You see, what Trevor Hudson does for me, at least, how he challenges me is, to put it very simply, he reminds me that the spiritual life is more than showing up for an hour on a Sunday morning. The spiritual life is more than checking off a list of religious devotion and piety. It is a way of life that forms and shapes us in how to live well with all the issues and, 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 and the aspects and the dailiness of life that comes at us, giving us wisdom and guidance and direction. There's much in what Trevor Hudson writes that resonates with me, both as a pastor and as a person of faith. So first, I agree with him on this, that the main question deep in the heart of every human being is this, how do I live well? And I would add this, the other question is, how do I make life work when life doesn't seem to be working? I think the two go hand in hand. And second, Trevor quotes Peter Story, who said that South Africa is, quote, thrashing around in search for its soul. Now, I think this book was written a few years ago, but I think that he would say it still is sort of thrashing around in search for its soul. And I like that because I believe the same could be said of our country as well. We feel like a country, a people, thrashing around in search of our soul. We feel divided, we feel polarized, we feel anxious, we feel worried, and we feel angry. We've forsaken this common good and often hide behind, and I know I do it behind our assumptions and our biases and our partisanship and our ideologies. And Jesus once told a story about a man who hoarded all of his riches and died without ever being able to enjoy them or the joy of generosity. And he he then said, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose her soul? I think the same could be said of a country. What advantage and benefit is it to us to gain the whole world but lose our collective soul in the process? I think the spiritual life just doesn't help us live well individually. It helps us live well collectively. God has given us the grace. We have to do the heavy lifting. We have to do that work. Having a well soul and living well go hand in hand. And this isn't about some esoteric pie-in-the-sky belief that separates us from real life. The spiritual life is meant to be our life. It's meant to be connected with the life we're living right here and right now. I posted this reflection 
this past week. Just something that I was ruminating on. And here's what, here's what it read or said. What if the spiritual journey is more than just about living forever? What if it's also about living well here and now in the present? And don't get me wrong, living forever is important. But it's also important to live well now. What if the heaven we long for is also a future picture of the kind of earth we can create here and now in the present? Eternal life. Now, a quality of life that reflects who God is and God's goodness and God's intimacy and God's character and God's likeness. Or as the Lord's Prayer says, on earth as it is in heaven. The story from the Gospel of Mark that I threw at Lee at about 8 o'clock last night involves a man coming up to Jesus and asking what he must do to obtain eternal life. He's a rich young man. So he's used to getting whatever he wants or needs. So in this case, name your price, Jesus. How can I get some eternal life? And Jesus, I think, sees what's going on. So he simply lists a few commandments, and knowing this is a very pious person. And the man responds that he's kept all these commandments since he was a boy. He says, I've done well. I'm good. I'm solid. So what else do I need to do? Well, Jesus says, you lack one thing. Sell everything that you own. Give to the poor, and then you'll discover the true riches of life, and come follow me. Now, this is more than the man can take, or, if you will, give. In fact, he was so dismayed, he walks away sad. Which, by the way, is a powerful illustration of life and the human condition. How often would we rather walk away sad in our confusion and in our lack of meaning, because we're unwilling to give up the very thing that may stand in the way of life with Jesus. He walks away sad because he's had so many possessions that he couldn't let go because they couldn't let go of him. Now, there's a lot to unpack here about the danger of riches and possessions, but maybe for another time. What I don't want to miss is this. It's a big picture, and here's what I think is the big picture. This man sees the spiritual life as one of transaction. I do something for you, Jesus, and you do something for me. I maintain a respectable religious life, and you guarantee I go to heaven. Now, Jesus' response reminds us this, that the spiritual life is never one about transaction. It's about transformation. Jesus knew that the one thing getting in the way of this man following Jesus and living well was his complete security and image bound up in his possession and his riches, and the man could not let go. And by the way, it's not just about possession and riches. It can be. But it's about anything that you and I may hold on to, may hang on to as a sense of security that we will not let go of. It has us. And Jesus says, but this is the one thing you need to surrender. It's not about transaction. It's about surrendering and transformation and allowing me to be the one thing that you follow. So how do we enter into this journey of transformation, this journey of living well? Very simply, what did Jesus say to the rich young man? We follow Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, we get to know him. We let his teaching influence our life. We pay attention to how Jesus lived his life in relationship with the Father, and we do the same. When we follow Jesus in this way, we're transformed inwardly. We receive new ways of listening, being attentive and aware, thinking and feeling. And as Trevor Hudson puts it, 
Christ meets us in the midst of these questions and helps us to live into creative responses. I have a little notebook that I carry around with me to jot down ideas at this stage of my life. I'm just basically jotting down things I don't want to forget, but I jot down ideas and reflections, and it's my to-do list. In fact, I can't remember where I put it, but I have it somewhere here in the meeting house. (laughs) But I jot down stuff. And so the other day, I listed practices of Jesus that helped him live into creative responses. And these practices, as I began to look at them, began to speak to me. This is how Jesus lived life well. So maybe if I follow Jesus, maybe if I live in the way of Jesus, maybe if I do the same things, I can live life well as well. And here's what I noticed. Jesus rested. Did you ever realize that rest can be a spiritual discipline? I've often said this before. The most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Not now, but maybe at some point. Jesus practiced silence and solitude. Jesus didn't do life alone. He lived in community. Jesus celebrated life. He enjoyed life. He enjoyed dinners. He enjoyed weddings. Jesus lived with an abundance mentality. There is enough for everyone in this world. It's not as scarce as we think it is. We just have to not live and hoard it all ourselves. Jesus had an organized center and a focused life. He knew who he was. He knew who, where he was going. He had a sense of call. Jesus lived with intention and purpose. Jesus prayed. Jesus forgave. Jesus embraced the outcast. And Jesus welcomed the children. If this feels like a probable series, you're probably right. But it's more than that. I hope it's a journey in which you and I can take to get to know Jesus by following as closely as possible. Not for transaction purposes. We're not checking something off a list. This is not a religious to-do list, but for the purpose of transformation, to have our souls transformed and made well so that we can live well, not just individually, but collectively, and maybe some way, as a people.